Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 3 today in our Bibles, and we will work through just about half the chapter today. And if you are taking notes today, it is a sermon titled, True Repentance. True Repentance, and this is a series that we've been working through, through the book of Matthew, I've titled Jesus Worldview, where we look through Jesus' eyes, we look through his understanding of the world and what he is calling the world to. So often, especially during this time, I've seen a lot of people um, in our culture, in our nation, um, really say that God isn't interested in a lot of the detailed things that are going on or that he doesn't have an opinion about those things. And if he does, as if we are not to talk about them or we're not to share them, but he is absolutely interested in what's going on and he has lots of opinions. And so the Lord Jesus, just as he was speaking to many things in his culture today, it's still speaking to a lot of things happening in our culture now. But uh, we are today going to talk about Again, a sermon titled, True Repentance. Heard of a story of a lady who had come home from her weekly prayer meeting at night and she found out she was being robbed. There was a robber. There was somebody who broke into her house and she couldn't believe her eyes. And she shouted out to him as he was there in the house, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven. And the robber quickly got on his knees and gave up quickly. And the lady called 911 as fast as she could. And they showed up and they handcuffed the criminal. And they couldn't believe their eyes. This old lady was able to trap this robber. And the policeman says, how in the world did this old lady get you to give up so easily? What's wrong with you? And the robber said, she said she had an axe and two thirty eights. That's it. If you don't get it, I'm sorry. I got nothing else for you. Congratulations. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Last week, we looked at a tale of two kings. The coming of the newborn king, King Jesus. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. And we looked at the king Herod, who wanted to wipe out the king of kings, the Lord of lords, because He was scared his power and his kingdom were going to be taken from him. And we know ultimately, of course, it would be. And we saw Herod die a miserable death. We saw him try to wipe out the king of kings, the babe, the Messiah, the baby Jesus, by killing all of the two-year-olds and under last week. And we know in just a few weeks after he had done that, he was put to death himself through a sickness that troubled him and ruined his life. But we see Jesus return from Egypt back to Israel. And no joke in the text from Matthew chapter 2 to Matthew chapter 3, we see the fast forward button hitting the fast forward button 30 years of time. Boom, just like that. And we all of a sudden come on the scene with a man by the name he is called John the Baptist. And here we will see Jesus in our text in this chapter. He will actually be baptized himself. And uh, we will look at the first half of this story. We'll look at the second half of it next week. We are in Matthew chapter 3. 
And let's read a few verses together, and then we will dive into God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you'd like to stand for the reading of God's Word, you can do so. And uh, we will cover just a few verses together. We always stand for the reading of God's Word to pay honor to Him and to remember whose word we are reading, whose story this belongs to. And really, we need to remember this story is all about him, not about us. We are part of the story, yes, but he is the ultimate hero. And uh, if we become uh, the main character in the story, it becomes all about man and what he has done and his accomplishments and how he's the hero of the story. And you just don't see that in society. You don't see that in the Bible. You see instead that God is the hero. Man is ruining things over and over, and God has had to come down on a rescue mission to save man from his sins. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John, John the Baptist, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshold and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we ask, Lord, that you would please minister your truth, your gospel, your good news again, that we would understand true repentance. We would understand what it means to walk with you in repentance. We would understand what it means to turn to you with all of our hearts. Please, I pray for those listening now, those who have not turned to you or are not turned to you now that, Lord, you would convict them of sin, that you would open their eyes and hearts to hear your word. You would call us closer in relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The beginning of Jesus' story of his ministry begins with his baptism. Interesting. Just like the beginning of a person's walk with God, it really begins at baptism. When we confess and proclaim before God's people, the church, that we are walking with God and living in repentance. Now, yes, we have all, those who are Christians, have moments of conversion where we believe that God ripped out that heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh, where God 
changed our mind, where the Lord showed up and convicted us so greatly of sin that we knew we were guilty and we knew we needed a relationship with Him. And by faith, we believed on the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts, made Him Lord and King and Master over our lives, and started magically in one day, in one moment, turning away from the way we were going and turning to Him with all our hearts. But the way that that is outwardly shown and declared to the world, of course, you can go tell someone. But the way that they were doing it in the early church is not only would they tell someone, but they would tell the church. They would stand before the church. They would stand before a group of people and declare that they are walking with Christ. And then they would be baptized, identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The outward showing of the inward working, that we have been raised from the dead spiritually, and we are showing outwardly that we are identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection outwardly, that we have been changed inside, and we are going to start walking in that outwardly. We're going to talk a lot about this today. Jesus was baptized as well, and we're going to talk about why he was baptized, because he did not sin. But we will see more of that in next week's study. Today we will look at why John was calling people to baptism, why he was calling the Jews to baptism, and why he was calling them to repentance. John the Baptist on the scene. J the B. This guy was a beast. It says in verses 1 and 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching. He was a preacher Interesting to think of him that way. In the wilderness of Judea, a preacher out in the bush. And he preached this. This is his statement. This is what he would say over and over. Verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John the Baptist out in the wilderness. You got to picture this guy shouting to people, repent, 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 repent for the kingdom of heaven is is here. It's at hand. It is now. You got to understand the setting. It's been 400 years since the nation of Israel has heard from a prophet. God has been silent. And all of a sudden, a guy shows up in the wilderness preaching the kingdom of God. Notice the word wilderness. Can you think of another time the word wilderness is mentioned to God's people. Do you remember they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after leaving Egypt, after leaving the world? They were in the wilderness. And God spoke to them and he led his people in the wilderness. And God is speaking again to his people in the wilderness through the prophet John. John the Baptist is actually Jesus' cousin. And we will see a bit more of that in the future. But He is actually related to the Lord Jesus. Very interesting. They grew up running around together. And all of a sudden, John somehow knew that Jesus was the Christ long before anyone else. And Jesus would proclaim about John that he is the greatest of all the prophets, the greatest of any man born of woman, John the Baptist. Why? It is because of his humility, because of his lowering himself and pointing to Jesus. Today, we see John the Baptist, a prophet in the New Testament. 
an Old Testament prophet type like in the New Testament. He looked like them, he acted like them, and he preached like them. Verse 3 tells us, For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah. Notice, prophet Isaiah speaking about John the Baptist who would make way for the Lord in the future. The text is Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5. The prophet Isaiah spoke about John saying, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Amen. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. They're like, man, every mountain start bowing down, every rocky terrain, get flat, get straight, make a highway for the Lord is on his way. He's coming. He is here. This is what Isaiah said that John would say and do in the future. And here we are. John the Baptist is standing in the wilderness and he is preparing the way of the Lord. He is one of the Jewish people standing there in the wilderness talking about Messiah and saying he is on his way, he's coming, the kingdom of heaven is in. Everybody start, better start repenting right now because Messiah is about to show up on the scene right now. And oh, look, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John would point out the Messiah to the Jews. There he is. And then he would baptize Jesus, a beautiful picture and example of needed repentance to the Jewish people. We're going to talk about that more in the future. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? But John is described in verse 4 and 5 like this. Who was this guy? You get a little bit um, of a closer look into his character and who he was exactly. It says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. What? And his food was locusts and wild honey. Now picture this guy. It says he wore a garment of camel's hair. Now, I don't know if this was a uh, designer jacket on top of uh, some leather or something. I don't know. Uh, Sometimes he is depicted as wearing this giant, like almost like, a giant piece of camel, almost like a bear rug. You know what I mean? And it's like if you cut the head off of the rug and then you just cut a hole in the center of it and John's head like pokes through. There's just camel here, camel there. And it's just a fat leather belt that he just wraps around it. What is he naked under there? I mean, this is, I don't know who this guy was, but, uh, or what he looked like exactly. But again, the details around what he was doing uh, kind of gives insight to who he was. If he is finding locusts, okay, in the wilderness, goes out in the bush, ah, where is uh, some locusts, and he would find them, and then he finds honey. How do you get the honey? First off, you have to take it from the bees, okay? You got to be a beast of a man to do this, 
go and take the honey from the bees. And then he is going to take his locust and dip it in the honey. Yeah, he like his little honey packet from Chick-fil-A, you know what I'm talking about? And he is there eating his locusts this way. Did he dry them out like beef jerky? Like what did he do with these locusts? This is crazy. Did he eat them alive? This guy's eating bugs, okay? He's eating bugs, even in that day. I mean, they would slaughter animals and eat good meat. And, uh, you know, they had good meals, okay? Um, Good bread and pita and rice and all of the rest. And here he is, locusts and honey. So again, it gives you insight as to what type of guy he is. He's wearing camel's fur, leather around it. He is out in the wilderness and he is dipping his locusts in wild is the word, wild honey. So he got it from the bees. He was for sure a prophet. Prophets are scary. Um, I don't know how you imagine a prophet, but if you just allow your mind to wash over the prophets of the Old Testament, they all have this template. They're kind of cut from the same cloth. They almost always lived in the wilderness with God and had giant beards and were rough around the edges. And they were called to preach the judgment of God and call people to him. So these guys had like rhino skin, you know, for their flesh. Like they, they were very tough guys and they, they weren't these wimpy dudes. They weren't going to stand up in front of a nation and uh, try and, uh, you know, have a nice, sweet conversation with them about how to come to God. They uh, would stand up and shout to the people um, the exact words of God and they would not stand back or fear They were fierce about the things of God. You think about Moses. Moses, uh, though the meekest man, he's standing before Pharaoh and not flinching. I know you're the king of the world, but I know the king of all kings. Moses knew God face to face. He had the eye of the tiger. That's a really good way to put it. All these prophets have that eye of the tiger. Elijah stood before the prophets of Baal. You remember? He's like, oh, where's your God? Is he uh, on the toilet right now? Where is your gods? Come on, why don't you call upon your God? I'll call upon my God. You call upon your God. The Super Bowl of the gods. And we'll see what happens. We'll see who's got answers. The prophets of Baal start cutting themselves, bleeding everywhere, calling upon their God, sacrificing, trying to get him to show up to bring down fire from heaven and consume the offering there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah's just like, do, 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 do. You guys done yet? You guys are idiots. This is ridiculous. Let me, Lord God Almighty, come down and consume this place and show these prophets who you are. God answers with fire. And it says the fire is so intense that it licks up all the water off the ground, out of the dirt around it, all of the offering, all of the stones, all of the sticks, everything consumed with fire in an instant. The prophets of Baal are scared to death. They start running for their lives. You know what Elijah does? Kill them all. He has them slaughtered. They are wiped off the planet right there on the spot. These guys were fierce. They didn't put up with stuff. You look at Moses and his the way he confronts the people of Israel over and over about their sin. He comes down with the Ten Commandments after communing with God. They're dancing naked around a golden calf. He's ticked. He takes the Ten Commandments and smashes them on the ground and basically says, you guys are lucky that God doesn't strike you dead. I'm going to go pray for you right now. These guys were fierce. They were direct. And we need to remember this because sometimes the image of the preacher in this day and age 
it seemed to be that they're supposed to be the nice guy and not supposed to preach the truth of God's word directly. I don't see the prophets of old as these nice guys. Uh, if you sat down and had a cup of coffee with them, would they be nice? You better believe it. They're probably the meekest, most humble people on the planet, but they are not scared to tell you that God is going to crush you if you don't turn to him right now. And I think that we need more of this preaching in this day and age. We have become so soft in the church. We have become so soft in America that the church doesn't even know where it stands on issues. We are we're pushovers. We get taken advantage of. We don't stand firm in truth in this culture. Um, we will change our truth. We will change our stance and positions because this person over here doesn't like me anymore. They unfollow me or they, we care too much about what all of these people think. We don't care enough about what God thinks. You know what John said? He goes out in the wilderness and says, forget this. I'm going to rely on God with all of my being. All I got is my my camel fur coat. I got some leather. All I need is some locusts and honey. I'm just going to stand out here and shout at people, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Wow. Repentance. Think about Jonah, the prophet who didn't want to do the deed, but he had to go to Nineveh. God sent him there and he walked through Nineveh shouting, you better repent or God is going to wipe this nation out. You know what they did? They repented. They actually repented. I think sometimes in trying to build a bridge so perfectly, we miss God's truth. And I think it is more important to declare God's truth clearly than to candy coat things so much that you can't even find truth in there anymore. That is why our nation is where it's at today. We are not being clear. Um, messages are so fluffy and people, they, people email me this about this. They, they want me to be more nice and, and to stop being so direct in sermons. And I'm just like, you know what? I'll never forget. I was in Mexico and, uh, I remember I was, I was actually out in the wilderness of all places. Weird to think about. It's out in the middle of Mexico in this place called Carmen Serdan. This is, I'm like 22 years old. Literally, I had a beard down to here, I had long hair, use your imagination. And uh, I was on this rock. It almost looked like a, it was like this rock uh, that stood on, on, its, uh, on its feet. And then there was a kind of platform, almost like an altar rock that I would get up and stand on and overlook the entire valley of this place. There was only about 100 people in that town in Mexico. But we could go off into the wilderness and pray and worship and read the word of God. I was standing there one time and um, the guy who was overseeing this pastor and training program out there, he saw me there and for some reason he pulled me aside afterwards and he said this, you're going to be a prophet to the nation. You're going to be a prophet to people. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, what are you even talking about? And I, it dawned on me, this week when I was studying this text as to what he was saying to me, I think that he saw that I wasn't nervous or scared to be bold and direct with people. And that though all of the brothers there had that in them to some degree, that maybe it's a part of my makeup to be very direct and to challenge and to not be nervous or scared about doing so. 
And it's kind of who I've been my whole life. And I didn't know exactly. I didn't know God would call me here to L.A. And you kind of need rough skin to kind of uh, meddle in all that's going on here in L.A. If you do not forge a way here in L.A., you're just going to get overtaken by the culture. If you don't stand against something and draw the line in the sand and declare who God is and what he's doing, you're just not going to win. And um, I see John the Baptist doing this. I am in no way in anywhere close to being compared to a John the Baptist. I don't, I can't even see myself there. I am way a thousand yards over there in the corner somewhere. I'm just a blip on the map trying to, in this city, stand for truth. But you get the cloth that John the Baptist was cut from, the prophets of old, the prophets uh, here in this day, Jesus being the final prophet. We have though I am not a prophet, I bear some of the pictures of those things in my preaching and being so fervent in truth, trying to be fervent in truth, trying to stand firm in what God has said. So you guys see me over and over. I just go right back to the text. John came to preach judgment and to call people to repentance. What's his message? It's very simple. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was simple, very deep, simple, but very, very deep. Repent for the king is here. His kingdom is here at hand. If the king of kings, Jesus, showed up in L.A. this weekend, there's a parade going on down in downtown L.A. and Jesus is coming through. He's showing up. Every preacher would be in fear Like you, what? All the pastors, what, what? The Lord is coming. Wait, what? This weekend? Yeah, he's going to be here in LA. They'd be running so fast to get their church in order and to make sure they've got everything tightened up. Oh no, what did I say? Is he going to come to our church? Oh no. Every preacher would be in fear and point to Jesus and say, turn to him. There he is. Turn to, there he is. Don't look at me. Just look at him. Go over there. Just go to him. The kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. That's what John is saying. And he is shouting to the people, Messiah is here. Jewish people, Messiah is here. His kingdom is here. And you need to repent to him now. The word repent is metanio. In the Greek, it means to think differently afterwards. To reconsider It means to change one's mind. It means to completely abhor the past sins of your life, to change your mind about them, and to turn towards God with all that you have. It's also a military term uh, to about face, to completely turn the other direction, to change direction and march that way. That is exactly what's happening. There is a call for people to stop running away from God and start running to Him 100% with your entire life. Not 95%, not 90%, not 60%. Well, I'm kind of like 50% in, you know, I like God. Jesus is cool and stuff. He's my homeboy and, you know, I kind of hang out, you know, and I, I do some prayers every once in a while. No, no. Making Him completely Lord and King and Master over all of your life. And there is no place in your life that you are not saying, Lord, this is yours. It all belongs to you. We don't hide things in compartments in our lives and say, Lord, I'm keeping this. We make Him King over our entire lives. 
John the Baptist's sermon was clear then and it is clear now. Repent. Turn to God. Turn to Him with all of your heart. People don't like the word repent. They didn't like it then and they don't like it now. You want to know why? Because it calls them out to the core. Declaring that they are wrong and God is right. That is exactly what repentance is. When I say to you, repent, if I shout to people on the street, repent, they get ticked off. Why? Because it is telling them they're wrong. And they're running and walking in the wrong direction of life. And they know exactly what that means. Repent. Turn to God with all your, all your heart, all of your life. Stop living that way. Stop thinking that way. Stop moving in that direction. Change your mind about these issues. No, no, I, I don't want to agree with God. Then you are in opposition towards God. It is scary to be the enemy of God. And I am telling you, though the Lord is patient, He will judge the earth. And He will judge America. And He may even be doing it right now. You got to understand that there is a day coming when the Lord will just say, that's it. It's time. This game is over. No more messing around. You had your time. You heard the sermons. You had many times to repent and turn to me with all your heart, but you kept just messing around doing your own thing. And I gave you your chance. And God will call everyone on the carpet and they will have to stand before him for their sins. And Matthew 7 tells us that many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not go to church? Did we not have a Bible? Did I not pray? Did I not do all of these things in your name? He's like, yeah, but you never repented. You never turned to me with your whole heart. You never put your full faith and trust in me. Your faith and trust was in yourself. Your faith and trust was in the culture around you. You would not turn away from those things. Point number one, if you're taking notes, don't worry, there's only two today. It's very simple. Number one, God calls all people everywhere to repent. Point number one, God calls all people everywhere to repent. This was the message of all Jesus' disciples and all of the prophets of all times. God calls everyone everywhere to repent. Acts 17 verse 30, listen. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that man? The Lord Jesus. He says, God in times past has allowed ignorance, but now no more. He says he is, commands all people everywhere to repent because there is one coming, a man who is going to judge the earth. It is the Lord Jesus. He came the first time in peace. He came the first time to die, to lay his life down for our sins and to raise from the dead to prove all that he said is true and to raise you to life. But the next time that he comes to the earth, when he returns, he will return in judgment and it will not be easy. He is the rider on the white horse. He is the king with the sword in his mouth and the written on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. He is the ruler of the universe and he will deal with everyone's sin. 
Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In one of the most loving verses in the entire Bible, He is not slow, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that you would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Repent. God calls all people to turn to Him through all prophets, all apostles, and through all preachers today. Oh, how we need more John the Baptist. If you have never heard a preacher or pastor tell people to repent, they are not doing what they're supposed to. If you don't hear them say the word repent or sin in their sermons, if you got to dig in their sermons to find this, there's something wrong. They care more about the approval of people than they do about the approval of God. Just reading the Bible as an entire sermon, if you just read the Bible literally for 40 minutes to their church, would be more helpful because the Bible will say all of the right words, repentance and sin and forgiveness and denying self than they would say in their preaching. It is not easy to be a preacher. It's not easy to be a pastor. But we are messengers of God to minister the truth of God's word to his church. What's the problem? Why do people need to repent anyways? Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn again. Turn that your sins may be blotted out. The problem is sin. The problem is sin. Every single person bears the curse of sin on their lives. And because we have sinned before Almighty God, we cannot enter in His presence and come into relationship with Him. Thus we are damned away from Him forever and all of eternity. Listen to the Romans Road. I want to give you a clear presentation of the Romans Road. If you don't know what the Romans Road is, I'm going to tell you right now. But I want to encourage you, would you write down every scripture reference right now? Take out your phone. Take out a journal. Go back and rewind and get this. Or just Google Romans Road and you'll see a breakdown of the Romans Road. Every Christian should have this memorized. I want to encourage you to memorize these scriptures. Listen to the Romans Road. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has a standard in heaven, standard of perfection, and every single person on the planet has missed that mark. They have sinned before God. They have done wrong against His commands and the way that He has said life is supposed to be. All have sinned. We are all in the same boat. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one, no one understands. Verse 11, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one person. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Not one righteous person on the planet. We are told in the Old Testament that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God because they're tainted with sin. Many times when we do good, it's for approval. Many times when we do good, it's so that we can get props from other people, make ourselves feel good. 
but the righteous acts are not actually worthy of Almighty God. His standard is perfection. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, he plunged the human race into sin, and that's all we do is sin now. That's why we have so many problems on the earth. Can you believe this? Thousands of years we've been on the earth. We're still hurting and hating and destroying each other. We can't figure this out. We keep shouting, love one another, yet no one is doing this. How do we get healed? The way that we do this is by coming in relationship with the God who made us, forgiving us of that sin that separates us from Him, brings us into relationship with Him, the one who is love. Then we can start loving one another as He has healed us of sin on the inside. Romans 6.23 says, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Adam sinned and because we sin, the wages of that sin, I'm going to pay you for what you have done. Your payment, here's your check, right on there. You want to know what your payment amount is? Right there, look at the little box where it says amount there. Is it a million bucks? No, it's the word death. Here is your payment for your sins is death and now we die we were not made to die we were made to live together with God forever on the earth the garden of Eden he made for us to live in harmony with him and with one another and to fill the earth and multiply and enjoy the playground that he's given us love God and love one another but because we sinned against him and did not listen to his commands We then are now plagued with death and people die. That's why we die. Because of sin in our bones. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amazing. Sin brought forth death, but Jesus brings forth life. Once again, forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God forever and ever through the work he did on the cross. Romans 5, 8 is the next verse. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinning, running around, doing stupid stuff on the planet, Jesus, there he is dying for that sin that we have committed. He is the one taking it upon himself. That is the whole point of the cross. It is a sacrifice for the sins of man and woman. It is to make us right with God. Someone had to make payment. Someone had to go to prison. Somebody had to pay for the sins that have been committed. The Lord Jesus comes down, the Son of God, and says, I will take on the sins for them so they do not have to face the wrath of God so they can go free. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinning, he allowed Jesus to take our place on the cross. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from your sin. You'll be saved from death. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confession Declaring him as Lord over your life. Now people, you can just say Jesus is Lord, but do you believe in all of your heart that he is over your life and you live that out? So you believe it so much you actually do it. 
believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the, the miracle actually happened of resurrection. That's faith. You believe that with all your heart, you will be saved. We have to confess him as Lord over our lives. We need to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, that his atonement was for us to cover our sin and to make us right with God, to wash away our sin and make us right with God. Romans 10.3 says, for ev- 10.13, I'm sorry, Romans 10.13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can you believe that? Every single person who calls upon God to be saved will be saved. But you have to call upon him. You have to reach out and repent. You have to declare that he is Lord over your life. You have to confess that he is. And to believe so much, you actually start walking with him with all of your life. Wow. Everyone who calls upon him will be saved. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we call upon him to be saved, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, repenting to him, seeing our sin be forgiven and washed away completely, we have peace with God by simply believing on him, being justified, what does that mean? They made just as if you'd never sinned, justified. What? Perfect before God. I know. His standard is perfection because of what Jesus has done. He brings you to a place of perfection and lets you go free in relationship with God forever. Then we get to go around declaring that to the world. We have peace with God. Once we did not. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we come into relationship with Christ, our sin is wiped away and we are not to be experiencing condemnation any longer in our lives. Feeling condemned over your sin when you have been forgiven by Christ is not of God. Yes, we feel guilty or we feel the weight of our sin because it ruins and it hurts us and the people around us, but we are not to be feeling condemned by God. No, you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. How can that be? I know. Isn't that crazy? Your sin has been forgiven. God loves you. And you are at peace with God because of what Christ has done. Romans 8.38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from Him. Nothing in the universe can do that. What a blessing that we can find rest in Christ. The simple message of the gospel, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The simple message of the gospel. We were to be with God forever enjoying him and enjoying the earth and enjoying those around us, loving God, loving people. We sinned against him and it broke the relationship. Jesus Christ came down on a rescue mission to die for our sin, to forgive us of our sin. He rose from the dead to promise resurrection to us so that we can be reconciled to God, spiritually brought to life. And the way it happens is by just repenting of our sins, turning away from believing that way, And turning to believe in God with all of our heart, making Him Lord and Savior over our lives. And that brings us back into relationship with God, loving God, 
loving people, ministering to those around us, enjoying the earth He's given to us. God calls everyone everywhere to repent from living the way that they are and running away from Him. He calls them to come to Him. That's all that John is doing. That's all that I'm doing now. I want to tell you right now that God is calling you and you need to repent of your sin. You need to go before the Lord and confess your sin to Him. Be honest with Him. God is calling you to repentance now. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, If anybody wants to come after me and follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying self. Ralph Venning said this, Late repentance is seldom true, but true repentance is never late. It's never too late to truly repent. It doesn't happen often as we grow older, but I'm telling you, if God's calling you to repentance now, you need to do so. Back to our story, John the Baptist was standing in the wilderness by the Jordan River calling people to repent. The Jewish people knew this in their heart, exactly what it meant. I just gave you a full presentation of the gospel. You should know and see this is exactly how we repent and put our faith in Christ and the work that he has done. We are to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That's what John is calling them to as well. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. First, we see that God is calling everyone everywhere to repent, and now we see outwardly what that repentance is looking like. John the Baptist called people to get in the water and get dunked. It's a picture of sin being washed away and us being made clean before God. Washing in water, yes, washing away sin. It's slight, it was slightly different from the baptism we receive as Christians, as John will point out. But John talks about those in the future being baptized by the Holy Spirit with fire. So this is the difference Back then with John, he was calling them to a baptism of repentance. John will point out that a baptism of fire is coming, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We as Christians, as we'll see next week in our text, all of this happens at one time. When we come to know the Lord Jesus, we are being baptized with fire. We are being baptized in the Holy Spirit as he comes and lives inside of us. When we are baptized in water, we are declaring to the world that God has washed away our sin. We are declaring to the church, He's washed away our sin, and we are walking in repentance with Him. This dipping of the water, though, this picture, it actually was a picture in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament ritual. We think it's something that we Christians made up. It actually goes all the way back to Leviticus 15.13 in the Law of Moses. It says, When the man with the discharge is healed, he must count off seven days for the period of purification. Then he must wash his clothes and bathe himself in fresh water, and he will be ceremonial clean. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptismo, which primarily means a thorough change of condition accomplished through immersion. So, being completely changed as we go into the water and come out. And we know if you, I don't know, you had something that was muddy and dirty and um, you took it and you dipped it in water and brought it out, you will see that the dirt will come off of it. But 
It is written in Bibles to take the place of the Hebrew word telva. This is the word to totally immerse. Telvila is the word. And this ritual of immersion is something that was happening uh, in Jesus' day. This uh, ritual of, of dipping in the water is called mikvah, which is a Hebrew word just meaning gathering of waters. And for the observant Jew, the mikvah personifies both the womb and the grave and consequently rebirth. It is regarded as a pure, unadulterated avenue of connection with God. And for that reason, it was a place where hope was reawakened and also strengthened the Jew. What would happen is um, this would take place in all of the Jewish ceremonies and rituals. As they were going up to temple, people would be mikvah. There would be a little pool, like a little spa type thing sitting there before you would enter into the temple. And they would actually walk through the water as a ceremonial cleansing before they entered the presence of God. So these, these pools would be set up and God's people would dip into them again before entering into his presence making them pure. And this is essentially what John is calling the people to do. Again, Jewish audience, mikvah, 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 get in the water and become pure. Purify yourselves. Repent. Turn to Messiah. Turn to God. He is here. Purify your hearts of sin in repentance to God. And this is what John was telling them. And when they did this, they were confessing their sins, verse 6 tells us crazy. They would get in the water and they would confess their sin. This is a true picture of repentance. They confess publicly who they were and who they were going to be. Who they were, they were confessing, this is who I've been in my sinful ways. Being honest about who they have been. And they are being honest about who they will be. As they confess before the people, I was running in sin this way, and now I'm going this way, and here is my purification, Migva. Here is my baptism. Here is my, my purification, my cleansing, my baptism of repentance, John calls it. Point number two, and finally, confession to God and others is essential for healing spiritually. Confession to God and others is essential for healing spiritually. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Wow. I'll never forget, uh, once again, when I was on a spiritual retreat with a bunch of brothers uh, there at the same place in Mexico, the first night we got there, we didn't know each other. Um, there is the pastor who is leading this thing. There's about 20 guys there in the room. We're all in this pastor and training program. And he says, brothers, I think it's time that we deal with our sin. And we're like, what? He's like, what I want you to do is you decide right now whether or not you're going to keep living in your sinful ways or you're going to be cleansed right now tonight by standing up and confessing the deep, dark sins in your heart before the brothers and be healed tonight. We're like, what? You're crazy. I don't even know these guys. I'm not standing up confessing to nobody. 
And it was, I'll tell you, the most pow- one of the most powerful times in my entire life. Because we all sat there in silence. And we waited on the Lord. And somebody was doing worship. We're just praying and sitting there. And all of a sudden, one brother just stands up. And he just starts confessing all that's been going on in the last year. All the sin in his life. And I'm sitting there like, ow, my ears. Like, I, I can't even handle like what he's saying. Like, this is so awkward. And the pastor says, you two brothers sitting on both sides of him, the brother who just confessed, stand up. And so the two brothers stand up and he says, put your hands on that brother. They put their hands on them. And then the pastor looked at him and started encouraging him and building him up and telling him that his sin was forgiven. And then he told both of the brothers, pray a prayer over him of forgiveness and encouragement. And the two brothers started praying over him and building him up and strengthening him. And I'm telling you, it was powerful. It was so magical. I could, God showed up in that room that night and one after another, the brothers started confessing. They started one at a time. They would stand up and just start sharing. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. No way. Guess what? The conviction on me was so heavy. I said, forget this, man. I'm going to be free tonight. I'm going for it. I just stood up and I just started dumping everything going on in my heart, everything going on in my mind. I couldn't believe I hadn't been that honest with anyone ever in my whole life. And those brothers all of a sudden laid hands on me and prayed for me. And Pastor John gave me a word of encouragement right there on the spot. I was free. I was freer than I've ever been in my whole life. I was healed from all of that past. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Why does that happen? There's something in the human genome. We want to be lifted of these burdens. We hate carrying these secrets. We want to be transparent. We just don't know who to trust. We want to be free. We just don't know who's going to condemn us. That room became such a room of encouragement and strengthening. It was not a room of condemnation. It was a room of strengthening. And because of that, it freed each one to share. Oh, I pray for legacy that we could find this place. We could find brothers. We could find sisters that we can be honest with about all that's going on in our hearts and know that we're going to be strengthened. Know that we're going to be prayed for and encouraged. Confession to God and others, an essential place for spiritual healing in our lives. It has got to be there. And I'm telling you, it is the beginning of repentance. It is the beginning of getting away from that sin forever because you've been so honest. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Wow. Psalm 32, 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, O oh God, I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Praise God. Confession is powerful. It first causes true communion with God. It clears out all of that clogged pipes, everything, all of that junk in the way between you and God. It gets it all out of the way. We agree with God privately in prayer. We have sinned against Him alone. Him and Him alone and need forgiveness from Him and Him alone. When's the last time that you did that? When's the last time you got before the Lord quietly by yourself and just was specific about your sin? 
specific. You pinpoint it exactly. You you describe it. You declare to the Lord all that's going on. That's hard to do, huh? You want to know why? We don't want to acknowledge in our hearts and minds that we're actually doing that. So we hide it in passive confession. Oh Lord, forgive me of that general category. No, Lord, forgive me of this specific thing that I'm doing on that day at that time in these ways. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most powerful thing you can do is confess specifically to God what's going on in your heart. Be honest with him. It repairs and renews the, the, the relationship between you and him. Communion. Second, when we confess, it puts us on record. When we confess to others, it puts us on record declaring to witnesses who we are going to be. Accountability, praise God. Acts 19.18, they practiced this in the early church. Listen, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They says, this is who I was. This is who what I would have been doing. And I'm telling you, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm running from that. Sounds like our baptism services, remember? Get up and people get to share testimony of who they are and who they're going to be and what God is doing in their life. And what a powerful moment that is to stand before the church and to declare those things. It's refreshing. It's healing. And why are we in tears? Because we're all those people. Most powerful moments when I was in that room with those 20 guys is I realized we were all the same. We're supposed to be the most holy guys from all of our churches <laughs> that were coming to a pastor and training retreat, handpicked by a pastor to come out of thousands of candidates. And here we are, we're all the same, struggling in sin, trying to worship God. It was the most refreshing thing to have accountability and to know that other brothers are working through this as well. Augustine said this, before God can deliver us, we must undeceive ourselves. Stop deceiving yourself into thinking that you're not that bad by sinning and acting like nothing happened. No, we need to declare what we are doing is wrong before God and wrong before somebody else. And that locks it in. Well, how do I do that? You need to find somebody you trust. Maybe you already have that guy. You already have that brother or sister. Somebody you trust. And you need to be honest with them. Find them. Be honest with them. Say, I just need to confess. I need to clean this out. Augustine also said, The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. It is the first step in doing good works unto God when we are able to confess our evil works. Let me ask you, have you ever confessed your sin before God? Not God, just forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's part of it. But Lord, forgive me for I have done this and this and this and this and sin before you and you alone. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, It does not spoil your happiness to confess your sin. The unhappiness is in not making the confession. We find ourselves never being in perfect peace. We find ourselves not content. We find ourselves aching inside. The burden of sin, family, is too great to carry. We want to be free with God. Thus, we need to confess it. This is repentance. Repentance is being honest. 
Repentance is being transparent. And I'm not saying please go and throw your dirty laundry around to everybody in the church. Please don't do that. You confess as deep to the church as you feel confident. But those that you trust, we should be honest. And ultimately, of course, every detail of our sin to be able to confess to God, it's renewing and refreshing, especially when you're brought to tears over it. And you realize how far from God you have been. And you hear him say, forgiven and forgotten. I will not repay you according to your sins and you go free. That is the most magical moment in life when you are alone with God and you realize that he has forgiven you. You have forgiveness of sins and peace with God. The only place that every person in the universe wants to be. John was calling the crowds to repentance. Repentance goes hand in hand with confession. I want to ask you today as we close, when is the last time you confessed your sin to God? Specifically, I want to encourage you, you need to do so today. You need to take some time today. Maybe it's tonight. Maybe it's in the morning tomorrow. You just need to get alone. You need to go on a walk. You need to get quiet with the Lord. Maybe it's that accountability partner or somebody you know and trust to say, man, I just need some prayer. I just need to be honest about some stuff. Would you pray for me? I just need to be encouraged, honestly. Especially in this time, especially with all of the burden that we are carrying during this time. Man, if the burden of the world is crashing down on us around us, all of LA, but our souls are healed and clean and fired up and strengthened, what can tear me down if I have good relationship with God? I want to encourage you to do that today. This is true repentance. And this, family, is Jesus' worldview. Candy-coated Christianity is not what John the Baptist or the Lord Jesus is about. We're talking about real repentance, getting things right with the Lord. And I know it will bring the most peace, the most happiness, the most grace, the most rest, the most contentment in your life. And so I want to pray for us as a church right now that we would be able to do this and get to this point. So let's go before the Lord now in prayer. Let's ask Him to heal us. Lord, we come before you now and we, we realize who you are, that you are the king of the universe and you will judge those who never come clean before you, who never call upon you to be saved. You will deal with us according to our sins if we do not have the Savior Jesus. But Lord, we thank you that through Christ we can be forgiven of every single sin. You call us to believe on him with all of our hearts to deny ourselves to deny our ways, our direction, our path, our thinking, and to turn to you with all of our hearts. I pray for everyone right now praying with me, Lord, that you would heal them of their sin. You would forgive them of their sin. You would pardon them and let them go free. As they confess to you in their heart even now, I say, Lord, that's me. Those things in those areas, that's me. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need you to set me free. I need you to raise me to life. I need you to fill me new and afresh with your spirit. I need you to be Lord and Savior over my life. Lord, I pray that times of refreshing would come with you today, right now. You would resurrect our church. 
There would be no fake Christians in our church, but we would be wholly devoted to you. True repentance. Father, bring us to that place supernaturally by the power of your Holy Spirit, by faith alone. We trust you. We do everything we can to throw ourselves upon you in this moment, asking that you would save us, redeem us, strengthen us during this time. I pray for LA, Lord, as a whole. God, that you would raise this city from the dead. You would give us new minds and new hearts. You would rip out the heart of stone in the city and give us a heart of flesh. We pray that we would not fear to preach righteousness like the days of Noah. We would not fear to stand up in the middle of it and preach your righteousness, your truth, your goodness, and your grace and your love. You're calling people everywhere to repent right now. We ask for you to do that work. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you for worshiping with us today. And, you know, as you can see, this John the Baptist message, so a lot of information. Man, it gets me fired up about just picturing him. I wonder if Jay the Bee was walking around the streets today. He, what we would think of this guy. And I'm telling you, we need a bit more of John the Baptist in all of us. We'd be humble. We would point people to God, be fierce about it. We would not fear what men or women think in our city. We've got to point them to God. It's our only hope. Legacy, I love you. I'm praying for you. Excited to see you next Sunday. Please, let's be praying for our church and let's be encouraging and building up one another. Find somebody to be encouraged by this week. Find somebody to encourage this week in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he be gracious unto you and to continue to pardon your sin all the days of your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.